You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on the Negotiate X podcast. We are continuing our conversation with Brian Ahern, the Chief Influence Officer at Influence People. If you haven't already uh, listened to part A of this show, you're going to make sure that you do that before. Continue to listen to this one. Let's jump into principle number five, consistency. Consistency says that we human beings, we feel this internal psychological pressure, but also an external social pressure to be consistent in what we say and what we do. And since that's a mouthful, I always boil it down to word and deed. Most people feel better about themselves when their words and deeds line up. But the problem that people have when we talk about this is they're so directive and they tell people what to do. And so me telling you, Nolan, I need the sales report by Tuesday does not engage consistency. If you don't get me that report, you haven't promised. You might have even internally said, well, what the heck with you? I'm not getting it. I'm busy. Or there's all kinds of reasons. But if I say, Nolan, would you be able to get me the sales report by Tuesday? And you say, yes, you will do a lot more to make that happen. First and foremost, because you don't want to feel bad about yourself. And then second, you don't want to look bad in my eyes. So the key with this, I always tell people is stop telling and start asking. Every time you're telling somebody what to do, you are not engaging this principle. But by asking and waiting for affirmation, that's where you engage it. Can you say a little bit more about that? I don't know if you have an example. Um, how do you use that either from a sales or a negotiations perspective in a very sincere way? Because I, I, I guess, um, yeah, I'm just curious how that what that looks like or sounds like. So most people in a sale become a walking billboard. They're going to go in there and they're going to tell you the three to five to 10 reasons why you should do business with us. The better salespeople will understand how to frame all of those into questions so that they can ask, you know, Aram, is it important to you that? Or Aram, are you looking for? Or but something where they're taking those to elicit from you what's important. So let's say I ask you five questions and three of those you come back and clearly want something that I know that we're offering. That's where I'm able to then step in and say, you know, Aram, it sounds like we should have more conversation around this because, you know, when I asked you about this, that's we do that. And when I asked you about B, um, we're one of the leaders in the industry in that. And, and so all of a sudden, I'm now coming back and telling you, we do what you've just told me was important. So I've asked the right questions to elicit from you what's important rather than just being a billboard and pushing out, you know, 10 reasons and hoping three of them stick. Thank you. Cause I think you're kind of bringing, as I was listening to you bring the light for me, kind of the, what I was wrestling with, which was, yeah, I think a lot of salespeople see their job as I need to deliver, you know, I need to deliver a message to you. And the more times and the louder I deliver it, the obviously the better it'll come through with what you just described though, too, how do you prevent that from feeling like a trap? Like you're luring me down a path and then you're going to, you know, entrap me with, and gotcha. Yeah. Here's, this is what I want. So how, how do you make that sincere? 
I think that comes through authenticity where it feels like we're just having a conversation. And, and so uh, it's not like, well, I'm going to ask you 10 questions. Okay. I ask a question one and I write it down. I ask you a question two and I write it down and you just feel like you're going through a checkbox. I should know who I am, the company I represent and, and the product or services that we offer so well that I can just sit down with anybody anytime and I can have a conversation. And if I really have taken what I think are the, the top reasons to do business with us and I have kind of framed them into questions and I've practiced a little bit, it should be extremely conversational where you're not feeling like I'm asking you the question, you know, knock, knock, knock on the door. Do you like to save money? Yes. Do you like to support local businesses? Yes. <laughs> Right. And you, you feel like you're railroaded down this path that, you know, you don't want to go down, but you're finding yourself wanting to just close the door and go away. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being an authentic yeah. individual who truly is trying to help the, the clients that you serve. Does that mean sometimes you let them walk? Absolutely. I, I had a, a Zoom session about a month ago. Uh, somebody had had reached out to me. They'd got my name from somebody. And then the owner of the insurance agency also was on the session. So we're talking about what I do. And I can see with the owner, it's it's resonating. I mean, he's smiling, he's nodding, I'm getting all the signals. And then she says, and she's the one who's going to be in charge of setting up the training. And she says, I understand what you're, what you're talking about, but we need somebody who's going to put in a sales process and develop the metrics and do these things can you help us with that? And I said, no. I said, but I, I can recommend people. I said, that's not my expertise. But when you lay out your sales process and you have everything in, I can come in and help you make it better. Because at every step in it, I can show you how to apply these principles of persuasion. So that ended up being somebody that I wasn't going to do business with. But I'm very confident that I will do business with them in the future because the owner really liked what he heard. And I was honest with them about what I can and can't do and went so far as to make some recommendations. Whether or not they use them, I know they think that was kind on my part. So I'm not looking to close every sale. Not everybody is the right client for me. Well, that's on. You said authenticity. You said honesty. Mm -hmm. I would also probably add there's some humility involved in, in, in what you're describing, too. Yeah, I don't want to. I mean, I've had some people who said, oh, yeah, I got a contract. I didn't know what I was doing, but, you know, I figured it out. OK, that's OK for some people. I'm staying awfully busy with the clients that I do have. I, I don't have time to necessarily figure something out like that. But I also if I'm truly honest and there's already experts out there, I may be able to build something, but it may not meet their satisfaction where an expert could come in and help them build something that would make them go, wow, this is awesome. All right, Nolan, I know you I know you want to keep us moving on to the next principle. I got one rabbit trail though, because Brian twice now has said, and you just said it here talking about consistency, you talked about the power of rehearsing. And that's something that you know Nolan and I always harp on, Brian, is that there are these these things are things we can practice mm -hmm. before we practice them, right? We can we can rehearse them. What what sort of guidance do you give or coaching you give either to clients or in trainings around rehearsing? Well, I use myself as an example. When I'm getting ready to do a big keynote, depending on how much time I have, anywhere from two weeks to a month, I'll, I'll go through my entire presentation every day. And I will have it up on my, on my big screen behind me so that I can see the graphics and I will be walking around this room and I've got a clock out so I know exactly what I'm going to hit and, and I don't miss my marks because I've internalized it so much. It's not, it will never yeah. be scripted or memorized but it will sound like, wow, this guy just knows what he's talking about. And that comes like anything. Like just watch the PGA championship yesterday. Those guys, their swing look amazing, but they're not naturals. 
They practice unbelievable hours. And we, when we have an opportunity to get in front of a group and influence them, we should never, ever wing it. It should be that we have thoroughly prepared ourselves so that we can give our best effort to that audience that we're in front of. I'm going to pass it back to Nolan. That's beautiful, though, in terms of a take. When we have the opportunity to influence, never wing it, right? Really practice it. Thanks, Brian. That's what You're welcome. And so now I want to get into principle number six, and that is scarcity. So we, we touched on scarcity when we were talking about the reframing into the bonus. And scarcity is simply that we value things more when we think they're rare or they're going away. The moment that we think we may lose an opportunity, something in us is like, and we kind of want that thing more. And so, as I mentioned earlier, I don't want people to be fear mongers. I don't want scare tactics. I don't want them to come across as Debbie or Danny Downer, but I want them to honestly think about how can I reframe what I've always tried to be rah, rah, rah about and say, I'm going to be honest with you. You know, here's the downside. If we don't take this particular action, implement this policy, engage with this service, what could somebody suffer as a consequence from that? And as long as you're being truthful about that, then you are framing what you're offering in the best light possible to help them make a decision that you really believe is going to benefit them and their organization. Yeah, it's about value, isn't it, Brian? Because I and I always I I define value as you know the satisfaction of my interests and your interests, so mm -hmm. fears, needs, concerns, motivations, how well we can do that together, mm -hmm. and 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 the scarcity kind of gets to, I think we can do better together mm -hmm. than where you could go elsewhere. Is that I mean, does that resonate? Yes, I. One of the things I talk about as an ethical influencer is it can't be just good for you. To, to get the deal. Right. It's got to be good for them too. And so I always put it this way, good for you, good for me, then we're good to go. So if I'm creating a situation that's beneficial to both parties, if I have demonstrated value, and, and I learned this a long time ago, um, value is what I get divided by price. So you know, if I can get more of something for the same price, that's a better value. Or if I can keep getting the same thing and the price goes down, that's a better value. Now, you can't always plug actual numbers into that, but that mindset of making sure that I'm showing them so clearly what they're getting for what they're paying so that they're like, wow, that's a lot more than I expected. Most people don't do that. Now they understand that they're getting a better value out of that system. So uh, yeah, value can be the what I get could be the here's what you will miss out on. Yeah. And I like that you brought in, sometimes it's very clear, it's tangible, it's easy to find. Sometimes it's maybe more intangible. That doesn't mean we still shouldn't have that conversation. It's a similar conversation, just defined a little differently, perhaps. Absolutely. Now we are on to the last principle, principle number seven, unity. So unity says that it's easier for us to say yes to those who are of us, of our tribe, so to speak, or our family, or I'll use an example that, that you guys and your, your listeners will really relate to. Uh, my father served in the Marine Corps during Vietnam. And, and from the time I was a little kid, I could always tell when dad met another Marine, especially those who'd been in combat, I felt like he was closer to them than me, his own son. And I never really understood it until I began to learn about this principle of unity. And unity, again, says that it's easier for us to say yes to those who are of us. And it's really because when you're saying yes to that other person, it's as if you're saying yes to yourself. 
you know, I, I can use my dad as an example. When he helped another Marine, it was like he was helping himself. The satisfaction and joy that he would get out of that. Uh, if you go to something like AA, right, there's a, a tightly knit group of people who, if you're not alcoholic, you probably don't really totally get it. But when like a sponsor helps somebody who's trying to get sober, I'm sure that they feel an incredible satisfaction, like this is joy for me to help them. And so that's what unity is really about. Helping those other people is like helping ourselves. So I, I always tell people this is much deeper than mere liking. This is about sharing an identity. And we will always want to help those that we share an identity with above almost everybody else. So what, what, what do we do when we don't? When we don't necessarily share an identity, we don't have an affiliation with the person we're trying to influence. Are there ways we can try to build it and establish it, knowing how deep this this power, this, this principle is? Well, being together and acting together are two ways that you can start forming unity. Acting together in a sense, and again, for, for you guys, you're in the military, you, you see that having individuals march in unison forms a cohesive unit. That is one of many steps in getting that, that group of people to form as a, as a unit. So it's easier for people within that unit to certainly do or help one another than it would be for them to do or help for another unit. But a lot of that is you start moving in synchronicity, you feel like you're one. So if you can um, incorporate any of that, the other thing is sometimes just being together, either for lengths of time. Sometimes people are like, wow, you know, we've worked together now for 20 years. And if you really start thinking deeply about that, you go through a litany of things. You see people get married, have kids, maybe lose a spouse. I mean, the whole gamut of what we experience in a family, you can experience in an organization. So tapping back into that with some of those employees if you don't have that length of time, one other way is when you are in highly emotionally charged situations, right? You will probably never forget how you felt. And so if the three of us went through something that was really dramatic somehow, we would always be able to probably instantly bond right away over that. And that memory could be something that could make any one of us go above and beyond for the other. I, two, I have two, one first to comment, and then I have a question to take in a direction here. So the first, I just wanted to thank your dad for his service and, and Marines are always that way, right? You're never, you're never an ex Marine, you're ex army, you're ex, you're right. just a former Marine. Okay. Ready, ready to put it back on. Uh, mm -hmm. And Marines have that great affiliation with each other. Hmm. I, I do have a question as you can. And I think this, this of all of them, unity kind of raises um, kind of where we are in 2022, as well as some of the other principles you've talked about where does it hold? Do these hold even with what we see in terms of social media, technology, shifting modalities? I mean, whether Zoom or email or text and how we're communicating, do we just need to be more aware of these principles? Do they start to break down? I, I, what's your thoughts about, you know, kind of from this, the technological advances we've seen in 2022 now, or where we sit in 2022, and any kind of impact on our ability to influence and persuade? It can be good and bad, because people can use this information uh, or, or this understanding in, in very positive ways, and they can use it in very negative ways. Uh, I've seen people, for example, they think they understand social proof, and they would put out something that says, hey, 97% of my friends 
uh, aren't going to have the guts to take action on this. Will you be one of the 3%? I understand the motivation. They, they want to get people on board, but that message is working against you. If 97% of people aren't going to probably do it, then why should I? Right? So they, they fundamentally don't understand how to apply the principle. Scarcity, right? Everybody's fear-mongering. Um, and, and so I try to not engage in, in any kind of conversation online. If, if I saw one of you guys posted something and I was curious about it, I'd probably send you a message or send you a text or do something to connect offline. And I might say, look, I don't want to jump in the fray. People who don't know me, then they start making these, these accusations against me. But could I talk about your view? I'm, I'm interested to learn more. That's the way that you start overcoming some of this. And people right now are really looking for everything that makes them different. And we need to start coming back and make make it a conscious effort to look at what we have in common. And uh, I will give you an example. It's not social media related, but uh, I get together with some friends who are black, you know, once a month, once every other month. And it's only to talk about our experiences growing up, our experiences in the work world, you know, tell me about this, you know, here's how it was for me. It's never about trying to influence them. It's about understanding them. And if more people would have those kind of conversations offline, in person, I think the world would be a lot better place. Yeah, Brian, that's a very interesting, you know, concept that you you're implementing, you're actually doing in practice. This is very similar to long lines of what Joe Bubman is doing, who we've, who we've had on the podcast. So I think that would be an interesting podcast episode for you to check out as well as our listeners. If you think that, you know, just getting together, not to influence, but just to understand the problems just a little bit better. I think that's, um, sounds like it's a pretty, pretty effective way to really change the way you think, or at least become more aware. Yeah. It's been powerful. And, and what we're trying to do now is invite others in because we don't want to just continue to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So we start getting a group, usually it might be five, maybe six of us we'll get together for maybe dinner or drinks and, and sit down and, and just share. That's great. All right, Brian. So this is about the time in the podcast where we ask our guest to kind of describe a failure that you may have had in, in, in inf trying to influence someone or as a negotiator, but then also a success that you've had that you'd like to share with us. And appreciate you being completely honest. You absolutely don't have to. No, the, the failure took place uh, several years before I really began to learn about influence. And my wife and I, we were out buying a car. You know, there was uh, APR, you know, like 5% or I forget whatever it was. But so we we start getting well into the paperwork. And and there was this gentleman who wasn't using computers, writing everything down. So it's slow. It's, it's as if they, you know, just want to keep you there. And at some point when he writes down the APR number, I said, well, wait a minute, it said it was like 5%. Why are you using 5.2? And and he's giving me the him, the haw, and then the manager comes in and, and they do some stuff and they're like, okay, you know, it, it would have been $185. It's only going to be $190. And I'm like, fine, I'm not going to quibble over five bucks. But the reality was it was five bucks every month for five years. So it was end up being with $360 or something. If he, if I would have been thinking in that moment, well, wait a minute, the price of the car just went up $360. I wouldn't have made that decision. I would have at that point called him on it and said, look, I, th I think something unethical is happening here. And now if you don't lower the price by $360, then I'm going to walk and you've got five minutes to make the choice. That's how I would handle it now. But I didn't know it then and paid more for the car than I should have. Our unethical behavior is still pretty rampant in the influence persuasion negotiation realm. Oh, absolutely. 
I, I, I do my best to try to get people to think about how they can do it ethically, but it stands out. I mean, whether I'm watching a commercial or listening to a politician or watching the news, I'm like, it makes me want to go crazy sometimes because it's so biased, slanted and unethical. So much of what is coming at us that you don't even start to understand it until you're stepping back learning about the psychology, what it means to be ethical versus manipulative, and then your eyes are open and it's not a pretty picture a lot of times. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for saying that. And thanks for the work you're doing uh, around, around, you know, the ethical nature of this. I want can we go back to Nolan's second question, which is sure. what's, what do you consider to be a major success with regards to uh, your work in this field and application? Biggest success I probably had was five or six years ago, I was at an insurance agency in St. Louis and they were in a small suburb of St. Louis and they wanted to move the agency into St. Louis. So we went through this two day workshop that I do. And at the end, we strategize about a real situation coming up. So dad who owned the agency, two sons and daughter were with me and they said, okay, here's our problem. We have this building that we have all the plans for. We want to move in the city. The Rams just left. We want to support the city, but we're getting pushback from somebody on something like the Historical Preservation Society. or And they're, they're contending over like the height of the fence for the parking lot and where the door is and certain other things that just seemed trivial. So as we talked about it, I said, you know, I think you need to approach it this way by telling that other individual we both want the same thing. You want a building that will that the city will be proud of and will represent, you know, the architecture and history. We want a building that our employees and our customers will be proud of. Can't we figure this out? So the next day they're going into the negotiation and I was getting texts from them like, "Hey, we're thinking about what we learned, we're going to put it into play." What ended up happening was at the most tense time in the negotiation, one of the brothers said, I think we both want the same thing. We under, You want a building that you'll be proud of, so do we. And he kind of went into detail. And the person said, thank you. I've never drawn a line in the sand that I wasn't willing to cross. I appreciate that. And they got the deal done. The reason that was such a big thing for me is they've moved this family business into this building where they'll probably be for a generation or more. Some of the kids who might grow up and work there may not know who Brian Ahern is, but I'll always be able to say, I helped you get into that building that your family and your customers and, and, and your clients um, and employees have come to for decades. And that felt really good. That's a wonderful impact. Okay, so here's the next question then, Brian. That's such a wonderful kind of professional business example. Can you apply these things in personal life? You're, you've said you were married for 34 years now. Yes. You got a daughter getting married. Congratulations. Thank you. Does it, does it work at home as well? It does, but I'll tell you, they use it on me, and sometimes I'm not even aware of it. <laughs> so my, my wife, many years ago, said, uh, hey, Joe, and that's my stepmom, she said, Joe's turning 65, and she really wants to go to Scotland to play golf. Would you mind if I went with her? And I said, well, yeah, I kind of mind, because I want to go, and now isn't the right time. And, and then she said, fine. Do you mind if I go to Florida for the week to play golf with her then? I said, no, I don't care at all. She comes back later and says, I never really wanted to go to Scotland. I just knew it would make Florida much easier by comparison. She goes, you teach this and you didn't catch that? And I said, my radar is not always up with my loved ones, but well played. So, and my daughter does the same thing too, where my daughter 
engages consistency, she's always bringing up what I've said or done in the past. Hey, dad, you want to go do this? I might be like, no, not really. And she goes, remember when you, and she'll bring something up and then I'm like, fine, I'll go. So they're very effective (laughs) at getting me to do what they want. You know, guys, I think we're on to something here because we had the former FBI hostage negotiator, uh, Gary Nessner on the show. And he said the same thing that he just can't get it to apply it in his own fam- uh, family situation, but it seems to always work against him. I just take uh, it, Nolan, I take it that Brian, Gary, and others are just, they're such good. They're so good at training and teaching this stuff that, you know, it's, you know, when, when the, when the student has become the master, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it, there's a quote, I forget it now from Yoda and Luke, but that's what it is. Right. So. Absolutely. All right. So wrapping this up here, Brian, for, all of our listeners who do end up pick up are wanting to pick up this book. What is like the one key takeaway? Why should they get this book? What are they going to learn that's going to help them be a better negotiator? Well, usually what I will ask right off the bat when I'm on stage, I'll say, you know, by a show of hands, how many of you would agree that much of your professional success and personal happiness depends on getting people to say yes. And every hand goes up. Because they know whether if they're leaders, they've got to get people to say yes. If they're salespeople, uh, if they're customer service reps, we all have to get other people to say yes if we want to enjoy success at the office. And then they start thinking about, well, yeah, life is a lot more pleasant and happy at home when those around me more willingly do what I ask of them rather than with friction. So every hand is up. And then what I tell them is, Fundamentally, what we're going to talk about is how to get more people to say yes to you more often. We're going to talk about how to influence people. So if any of your listeners resonate with that, that their success and happiness rests in large measure on getting others to say yes, that's why you want to pick up the book. Because I put into practical application seven or more decades of research into very tangible ways that people could go, oh, I clearly see that. I could do that. Absolutely. No, I think it's a great explanation. Again, uh, influence people, powerful everyday opportunities to persuade that are lasting and ethical by Brian Ahern. Pick it up or listen to the audio book. Highly recommended both. First, Brian, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Yeah. And now this is a podcast that is all about elevating your influence through purposeful negotiation. So I'll kick it over to Aram for some key takeaways t- from today's episode. Yeah, there's probably too many to to list. Um, I, I really liked the idea around being able to build a picture for people into the future, for, uh, for better or for worse, what that's going to look like, uh, action and non-action, motivate behavior that way. I like the idea around uh, authority that it's a combination of expertise and trustworthiness, uh, and we can we can build both and make some choices there. I really liked what you shared, too, um, about influence as an opportunity, and we should never be um, less than fully prepared for that. So uh, I think those are... Um, those, those are just a few ideas. I probably could keep going on, but I just want to echo uh, Nolan's uh, words, Brian, and just say thanks so much. I know we know you're very busy uh, and really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. This was really informative. I, I learned a ton and I know our listeners uh, will enjoy this too. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Like I said, I love, love talking about it. So I enjoyed the conversation. So that is it for us on today's podcast. If you haven't already, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Negotiate X podcast. Do it wherever you listen to it. We greatly appreciate it. It helps put this podcast in front of other leaders, which is why Aaron and I continue to do this for you, the listener. Again, really appreciate you tuning in. Thank you so much. And I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Negotiate X Radio. 
helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.